hosted on dimlywit.com. I'm Alex. And I'm Tina. And this is Obsessed Obsessed with the Best. Today on Obsessed with the Best, Alex and I are so excited to talk with Major Jazz Booth. She is a former Army officer who flips adversity on its tail. Jazz is a Chicago native. She is a Army veteran. She's a cancer survivor. She's a veteran and disability advocate and a speaker who gave over 17 years of service. She also started her very own clean skincare line, which we are very excited to chat with Jazz about. So please welcome to the show, Jazz Booth. Jazz, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to talk to you. So I want to start with a little bit of background. And how did you even join the Army in the first place? What made you interested? It's actually a funny story. It's funny now. It wasn't funny when it happened, though. Okay. Um, So I went to college on a uh, basketball scholarship, and I majored in television and radio broadcasting. I wanted, oh, wow. yeah, I wanted to be an on-air news anchor. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so I got my degree. I did a great sports internship, um, basically doing like, you know, sports games and anchoring and interviewing players at the games to, you know, get some interviewing experience. Um man on the street or woman on the street style and also, you know, formal type interviews, got a good resume, um, got good references and moved to Vegas. My aunt lived there, you know, it was closer to LA, but not quite to LA, not too cutthroat. And I was, you know, I was ready. So I went to this television station with my great resume and my great references and my great experience and my great grades and my great degree. And they were like, um, yeah, this is great, but there's just one problem. And I said, okay, what's that? And they said, you are just too tall. <gasps> Wait. I was like, what? No. Yeah. To be on to be on television? Yeah. Okay, so keep in mind, this is like the mid-90s. Yeah. And so the anchors, the women anchors that are on TV, they're still very petite. Oh, yeah. And so they're, they're not even looking at women of my height yet. And they were like, yeah, you you tower over m- most men and you wouldn't look good on camera and Jess, you know from a statue point i'm six feet you are good for you tina yes. and i are five nine we're tall not as tall as you but that's so cool and i was like i wish someone would have told me this four years ago that from an industry standard yeah you know that that wouldn't cut it and so um i was also a single mom by this time and i said okay well um, I've always told my son, um, you know, we can, we have to be bigger than our obstacles. And so I said, well, okay, well, I need to do something that is a tough career field, um, something very demanding and very challenging. And I'm, I'm trying to think of something that's very tough for a woman to do. And if I do really great in this career field, he will see that a, a term like single mother is not indicative of how successful you can be in life. Uh, successful you can be in life. And what popped into my mind? The military. And that's how I ended up in the army. Wow, <laughs> that is incredible. I mean, you you really wanted a challenge. I mean, because that is not an easy career, especially a career move. Because I, th- I feel like a lot of people that join the army, it's right out of high school. Um, it's to get an education. But I mean, you really this was a choice. This wasn't something that you you had to do. Or are there people in your family that are military too? Or is this are you no, the first? It wasn't like a tradition. My father was completely against the military wow. and the machine, all of that. Yeah, I was a crazy person. I mean, um, I didn't eat 
education. I didn't need student loan repayment. I just needed a challenge. And wow. Wow. <laughs> oh my well, hats off to you. I've been yeah. so excited to chat with you because there's so much I don't know about what <laughs> someone's day-to-day life would be being in the army. Like I am in a wildly different business. I don't have anyone in my family like you who had that experience. So Can you tell us what it was like for you and what your experience was like and kind of take us through a day, an average day in your life being in the Army? Um, So when I went into the military, I expected it to be different. And what I mean by different is how the military is portrayed on TV. It's like, it's one big happy family. You know, we all bleed green. We all are you know, equals, and it's a brother and sisterhood. And it was the complete opposite in some aspects. I mean, there are some people, you know, for the most part who are like that, but I will tell you that um, I did experience racism in the military. I did experience sexism in the military. And I and I say those things to, to, to not say that I did not love my military career. I obviously did. I stayed in for 17 years. I met, I had lifelong friendships and it definitely gave me an opportunity to provide a better life for my son and both of my children than I, I ever had as a kid. But I say that because people look at the military as this different society that is untouched by the ills of American society. And I tell people, where do you think the military gets their troops from, you know? And so the military does not breed rapists. The military does not breed misogynists or, you know, sexes or anything like that. These are people who already possess these characteristics or ideologies they're now just wearing a uniform. And I had not thought about that before I joined. So when I went there and I, you know, experienced these things, I was a bit um, disappointed. But then I met mentors, you know, that encouraged me to grow beyond, you know, those ideologies and those people who were still small-minded or were still, you know, caught in a day-to-day, in their day-to-day ignorance. You know, and so for me, they were just obstacles and they were they were people who didn't want people like me to succeed or didn't think people like me, you know, should be allowed to serve. And that only fueled my drive to serve, you know, to be promoted. So people like me, women like me, you know, could see people in positions of authority and leadership positions like me and know that they can make it despite what small-minded people, you know, thought, you know, that we could achieve or what we could be. And so for me, it just, you know, it was challenge accepted. And then I saw the the additional challenges that needed to be accepted. And I was just like, you know, game on. Wow. What do you attribute your, your resilience and your strength and then this, this um, drive for a challenge and to rise above and to overcome this challenge? How, where do you, where do you think you get that from? I knew as a small child. Um, so I was born and raised in the parties of, of Chicago. Um, don't, I know you ladies are very young. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you're too young to remember good times. Have you guys seen the new Candyman? Don't know if you are. No. Not yet. 
Not yet. Okay. All right. So that's not going to help. But you do remember that there were projects in Chicago. And there were yes. places called housing projects where yeah. yes. um, um, impoverished communities live. And so I was born and raised in those projects. And so um, I always knew that, you know, there was something outside of those projects, but I always knew that I was destined to help people and that I was destined to be an example of something. Didn't know what that was, but I just knew early on that it was my purpose in life to help people. And um, I didn't understand what that was, what a purpose was, or how I was going to be led to do that. And so throughout those challenges, um, you know, people would always say, you know, thank you for inspiring me. And I was just going about my day to day, you know, not trying to be an inspiration, you know, not trying to have people to look up to me or not trying to set example, but just trying to be the best that I could, you know, and just trying to overcome challenges so that no one could create an, um, an obstacle for me or stop me from doing what I felt I needed to do or achieving what I thought that I could achieve. But it just seemed in doing that, that people were always watching me and I was inspiring people along the way, whether I knew it or not. Um, and when I went into the military, originally I went in and, um, I was a, I started off enlisted as a truck driver and the military said, well, since you have a degree, you can go in, you can be an officer because you have, you're educated and then you can be a leader. And I was like, there are a lot of, <laughs> there are a lot of smart, dumb people um, <laughs> with, with degrees. And just because I have a degree does not mean I'm smart enough to be a leader. So I am going to enlist into the military. So when I do get to the point that I am a leader, I will, my soldiers bring me their needs or concerns. I can identify with exactly what they're asking me for or exactly what their needs or concerns are because I will have experienced that. And so I spent my time enlisted and then I commissioned as an officer through Army ROTC. And then I became a human resources officer because then I knew that I would have the most impact um, with soldiers and their family members because I would have day-to-day -day involvement you know, with their career and their personnel lifestyle. I love that you actually said, I'm going to go and do this and get the experience so I know what the hell I'm talking about when I get to the top. I feel like that's also like a very strong-willed woman thing to do. I feel like a lot, a lot of men, not like, no shame to the great men out there, but a lot of them just kind of go, oh yeah, I can do that, sure, without any experience or... I feel like a lot of people do that. And it's like, um, I heard you I heard you speaking um, with, with another uh, podcast about the fake it till you make it uh, sort of ideology. And that's very like prevalent in our, this generation, especially where you just, and I, I'm so guilty of it where someone says, can you do this? And yeah, sure, I'll figure it out. And, and, and I love what you said. And I wonder if you can speak on that a little bit about, you know, asking the questions, getting the experience so that you, you are coming from a place of very, um, that's very authentic and very educated. Well, for me, it's like, you know, there are no shortcuts in life. And, and I, and I tell people, you know, if that's what you need to do, I don't judge anybody, but if, but I think when people say that it's because they heard someone else say it or someone say, Hey, this is how I got ahead and fake it till you make it. And I'm like, but what, what happens at the point that you do get a seat at the table and now you need, you can no longer fake it. And they say, okay, Hina, you have proven yourself as an expert in the as an expert in the industry. And now we need to know how you were able to crack the coal on the circumference of the sun and they hand you the chalk and say, we're all ears. And you're like, 
you know? Yeah. So it's at that point, you discredit yourself, but also you not only discredit yourself, everyone who has looked up to you, everyone that you have inspired, everyone that has, you know, um, looked at you and positioned you as a subject matter expert, you know, they lose something in themselves because they believed in you. And there are so many people that you may have become their role model and you may be the one thing that's driving them. And now they may see you as a fraud. They may see you as a person who really didn't work hard or a person who has presented themselves as someone who, you know, studies 12 hours a day or, you know, someone who, you know, they did everything they could. They took all the steps and they, and, and basically you just got lucky. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you fake it till you make it with confidence because we all have insecurities, but not with skills, not yes. with skills. You Excellent have to point. learn your skills. So I really want to get into your year that was 2005. And can you tell us where you were, what was going on. You had so many challenges at one time. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around that you are sitting here right now doing so well and inspiring other people. Can you tell us what were the challenges you were facing that year? So um, I think 2005 was basically the year that brought everything um, to light for me because this was the year that I probably was tested beyond measure. And I was always the person, um, I had a very rough childhood and I had a very strained relationship with my family for several reasons. And I was always the person that didn't need anybody, you know, as long as me and my son were okay, you know, the rest of the world would kick rocks. Um, you know, I was in the best shape of my life, my career, you know, what was going great. And I really didn't need anyone for anyone. And I, I always preached, you know, self-sufficiency, And, um, you know, to, you know, don't lean on anyone for anyone because, you know, um, you don't want to become codependent. And then I was, you know, divorced with my first husband. And so um, I think I was also very bitter around this time in my life, but I was, you know, hiding it among, you know, empowerment and all these kinds of things, but I just hadn't dealt with a lot of trauma. And so, um, and this was, and so... I was, I had just got stationed at the Naval Support Activity in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I got a call. I was a lieutenant at the time. And I got a call that I had won a round trip ticket to Iraq. Um, that's, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a like, serious joke. Iraq, you know. <laughs> yeah, the vacation um, of a lifetime. Right. And so I was excited because um, back in those days, like leadership positions, um, especially in a combat zone, did were very far and far and few between for, for women in the military. And I was excited because I would be leading a platoon of, you know, young men and women. And um, I was a young lieutenant. And so this was a, you know, very important time in my career, you know, to do a very good job and to show people what, what women could be capable of and also what minority women could be capable of. And, um, and as we were getting trained up and we were going to the farewell ceremony, you know, the young men and women, uh, their parents, you know, looked at my and said, please bring my son and daughter back safe. And, and I said, I will. And obviously that was a tall order, but, you know, I was a parent too. And it was equally important for me, you know, to get back safe as it was for me to get those young men and women back safe. And so uh, we were training August, 2005, we were training at Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, and, um, the commander called us in at the training and told us that a hurricane had hit New Orleans. 
And most people who are from the area, they frequently have storm systems, so they never evacuate. And so they did not evacuate this time. But this hurricane happened to be New Orleans. All my stuff is already in storage. And not too long after the hurricane, the levees broke. And so that's when it got worse. Right. So, so this is Hurricane Katrina you're referring to, right? Yes. Uh, yes. That B-I-T-C-H. Um. Yes. <laughs> Major. And, yeah. And so after the the second part, when the levees broke, you know, people couldn't get in touch with their families and, you know, people are stressed. And so they had to put a pause in training because, you know, soldiers couldn't focus. And I will tell you all during training, I did not feel well. I knew I was sick and something was wrong with me, but I will tell you, unfortunately, um, during those times, I'm hoping that it's better now. As a woman in the military, and especially a woman in a leadership position, you do not get to have a bad day. You do not. And I was told, this is why women shouldn't be in leadership positions. You're just the type of woman that are getting gonna get people killed. And this is why you'll never be respected. And also we as women, we don't listen to our bodies enough, or when we do listen to our bodies, we let people talk us out of it, or we let people convince us that it's all in our head. Mm -hmm. And so when they gave us that two weeks um, pause, I already knew my stuff was a complete loss, but I was of the mind that I could get material things back. And so I went to the doctor and once those two weeks were up, I got a call from the hospital that said, Hey, come over and get your test results. And so, um, so I went over um, to the hospital and um, I go in and the doctor says, um, I need you to sit down. And so, okay, well, I said, I got to, you know, get back to my troops, get back to training. And um, he said, don't even worry about that because uh, you're not going to be able to deploy. And I'm not even sure about the rest of your military career. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, um, we found a malignant mass in your head, neck and throat area. And I said, I don't understand what that means. And he says, you have cancer. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> and he says, um, I know this may be hard for you to, you know, accept, but you do have cancer. You're stage two, stage three. You have a very rare form, an aggressive type of cancer called adenoid carcinoma. And um, it is, uh, it has a 50-50 success rate with treatment. And um, you need to get treated, you know, right away. So go call who you need to call and say goodbye to your troops and get ready, pack up your things to get ready for transport. And it literally happened that fast. Oh my God. You, wow. You know, you said something, I, I watched your Megan Kelly interview and you said something really amazing, but also funny where you said, you know, as soon as I was done with my pity party that no one was RSVPing to, <laughs> yes, I got myself up. But here's the thing is like people have pity parties for all kinds of things. Like you, your pity party was well-deserved. This is way too much for one person to handle. So I want to know how the heck did you pick yourself up and start putting one foot in front of the other to kind of pull yourself through that time? Well, so after I, my cancer got in remission and so um, gratefully I was on the top end of that 50%, you know, I did end up homeless and sleeping on my aunt's couch. And, you know, every day my son would get up before he went to school and say, hey mom, today's going to be a better day. 
And you remember when I told him a few years ago earlier in his life about beating your obstacles and overcoming your challenges, um, I just realized that laying on that couch that I was being the biggest hypocrite. And I didn't have enough in myself to get up for me. I didn't feel enough. I felt like I was worthless. And unfortunately for most women, um, we, we look outside for things to, I need to get up from my, I need to do this for my mom, my family, my boyfriend, my husband, my school, my friend, because we don't think that we're enough, you know, to um, have a goal to accomplish for. And for me, I latched on to my son as opposed to saying, you know what, Jazz, you need to get up off this couch for yourself. You need to go find a job for yourself. But it was like me, no, I need to do this because I'm a mom and need to take care of my kid. Yes, those things were important, but I should have been enough for myself too. Um, but in that moment, I felt that I owed it to him, you know, to get off the couch. And again, as you said, you know, I was throwing this party for a couple of months and nobody would come because, you know, Sadness <laughs> is a terrible party favor. Um, nobody wants it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer kind of party. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, what, where was the military during this time? Uh, w- was there any support for you? Well, so the thing is, so um, my unit still went to Iraq and I didn't have a unit or a home or a job to go back to because New Orleans was still, you know, decimated. It was the perfect storm. Perfect. I mean, right. no pun so, intended, but perfect storm of the... So at this point, all. I'm a veteran. And so I went to the Department of Veterans Affairs to get support. That's what the military directed me to. And so I go there and I say, hey, give them the short form of the story that I told you guys. And I say, so the military told me to come here because I'm a veteran and I need to get supportive services. And they say, yeah, you're a veteran, but you're a woman. What? I said, yeah, last time I checked. And they said, well, we don't have supportive housing and you know services like that for women. But oh, you mentioned you had an illegitimate child. So you need to get on welfare and food stamps like other women in your situation. No, no. And how long had you been in the service at this point? How long had you served? I joined in 2000, 2005. So now we're 2006 at this point. So now it's been almost six years. And um, I did say I was born and raised in Chicago. So I had been working on my inner ghetto for a very long time. And she always, <laughs> she almost tapped it when she called my son illegitimate but i um, wow. imagine that is so it just sounds it sounds so disrespectful to someone who is putting their life on the line i i can't even imagine yeah and, and while i was in the hospital in the military hospital you know there were both men and women who were coming back wounded ill and injured and there are women right now who are buried alongside our brothers in Arlington national cemetery so when she sent me away as if my gender, um, you know, deemed me ineligible, it definitely felt like a gut punch. Absolutely. Yeah. So I ended up on welfare and food stamps, homeless and sleeping on my aunt's couch because I was a woman. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Hello, I'm David. And I'm Megan. And we host a show called Dress for the Podcast You Want. Do you get it? It's like dress for the job you want, but it's a podcast. It's a show about success, how we define it, why we crave it, and what we do with it once we have it. Each week we feature a new successful guest to hear their stories, get their advice, and sometimes make them sing a silly song. Or do an improv where they're trapped in the wilderness. Ah, do you call? You should come check it out. It's a lot of fun, it's got a lot of heart, and hey, all the successful people are doing it. Dress for the Podcast You Want, hosted by Dimly Wit and Background Joyce. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Ah. Oh, the Yukon. <laughs> <laughs>
So, well, first of all, you noticed this lack of support for women with children who are, who are vets and you started Final Salute. How did that come about? And can you tell us more about it? Sure. So I guess about four years later, so now I'm a captain in the army. I was able to get back on full-time active duty. I had relocated to the Washington, D.C. area. And also around this time, Oprah Winfrey is getting ready to go off the air. And so obviously, obviously being from Chicago, Oprah is like a staple um, yes. in, in Chicagoans' lives. We feel like we made Oprah, even though she made herself. Um, <laughs> and so the show, one of the last shows that I I happened to catch of her is the one she's doing on homeless women veterans. And I had kind of written that chapter off in my life as, you know what, maybe I was just that one who slipped through the cracks. I didn't think that it was a huge problem. So I was like, well, they're not going to make a whole program for one person. So maybe it was just something that I dealt with. But to learn that there were tens of thousands of women veterans that were going through this. And I said, okay, well, it's been some years since since my ordeal. Let me go and see how many supportive housing pro- programs there are for women veterans now. And so I went to Google and absolutely nothing came up. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Why like, do you think that is? I What I think happened is, well, for one, when I started to do my research and look through the VA's program and, and HUD's programs, not until, until the Government Accountability Office was auditing homeless programs for veterans, they asked the the HUD and VA, so how many homeless women veterans do you have in these programs? How many homeless women veterans are there? And they were like, um, we, we don't track homeless women veterans. They were not even tracking them. So they were not developing programs for homeless women veterans because they did not even have any idea how many they were. They were only setting up programs for homeless male veterans and even tracking homeless women, homeless women veterans. We were an afterthought. They never thought to think that we would come back with PTSD, military sexual trauma, um, come back with, you know, be subject to, to wounds from IEDs, lose limbs, be burned unrecognizably, get shot, all those types of things. Never even thought it. And even as it was still happening, we were continued to be an afterthought. And honestly, my organization started the national conversation on homeless women veterans by creating that, uh, that organization, creating white papers, going to Congress and talking to every media outlet that we could. That's that incredible. is incredible, Jazz. Really, really remarkable. I can't I even imagine how many women that you've already helped. How, how can we learn more about Final Salute if people don't know what it is? Sure. So I... Um, our website is www.finalsaluteinc.org. Um, we do have a, um, a website. Uh, we're also on Twitter. And we also um, created our, our flagship event, which is uh, the Miss Veteran America competition, in which we just finished our 10th um, competition in Orlando this year. And it was amazing. Um, but our mission is to provide homeless women veterans with safe and suitable housing. And we also aid in the prevention of homelessness um, via emergency financial assistance. And it's always, I always get that question, you know, well, how do we prevent, you know, veterans from being homeless? Is it, is it more housing? No, it's by having less homeless veterans. Um, so prevention is the key. We as a nation have been so um, reactive to veterans. It's like, you know, even the federal definition of homelessness, 
requires you to be physically on the street in homeless be, or be homeless or be in, in an inhabitable environment for them to even give you help. Now imagine being a woman on the street with your child. If you're homeless on the street with your child, what do you think the first thing the police or social services are gonna do once they see a woman on the street with a child that's homeless? Take your child. Exactly. So you're not going to say, yes, I'm homeless or go to any social services and report yourself as being homeless. So they basically put us between a rock and a hard place which is why when they do that point in time count every year in January on the coldest day of the year, you're not going to, a woman is not going to have her child on the street, period. But also on one day, on the coldest day of the year, let's go count homeless veterans. But you know who they don't count? They don't count the women who are doubled up with families and family members. They also don't count the women who are continually being beaten by their husbands and domestic partners just so they can have a roof over their heads and their kids can continue to have food. That's the situation that we're being put in by the same government that we that we swore that you, to protect and defend. That you right. put your right. life on the <laughs> line for. It's just so, it makes me so livid. And I just yeah. don't even understand why the system is what it is. Like there's so much work to do. Yeah. Well, thank God. Thank God we've got you out there taking these challenges and and taking initiative and making these programs. Have you seen a lot of success? Have you gotten to meet any of these women that you've helped? And what has that been like? Yeah. So we've been able to assist over uh, 7,000 women in over 30 states and territory territories wow. and provide over 15,000 days of transitional housing. And we've also attributed, you know, a lot of that success to the Miss Better in American um, organization and the event that we put on each year because all these women become ambassadors while they're competing for the title of Miss Fed in America. They're all spread out throughout the continental US. They're all women who have served their countries or either they're still serving and they go out to their communities and they advocate. And so each year we have hundreds of these women that are across in their own backyard saying, hey, local congressman or senator or representative, you know, what are we doing for homeless women veterans? You know, how many resources do we have in our own backyard? And so, you know, the word is is getting out and, you know, the the, the voices of these hundred are, are turning into one mighty roar, which is why this event um, becomes so successful. And, you know, whenever Congress, I have my, my executive director name is Bob. And so whenever most of the time they ask me to come up and I say, Hey, Bob, you go up there and talk to them because I'm tired of talking to them and telling them the same thing. But I tell them that the biggest thing that they can do is to change that federal definition or give the women who are homeless some type of security to know that if they are truly homeless, that they won't lose their children if they report themselves. So, you know, we've already had to be separated from our children when we go off and we serve in these wars and these forever wars. And now we have to come back and potentially face losing our children because of this flawed definition that we have been asked for years to be changed. It's unbelievable. That's a really important detail for you to speak out loud and for people to understand, because I think there's so many people that don't really understand the inner workings and all of these little specific things. Um, yeah. So you, you were a, the win, a winner of Oprah's standing ovation. So can you tell us how did it feel to, to really be recognized in a big public way? Because you've done so much work for people. I bet a lot of days it was very thankless. How did it feel to be really recognized that publicly for all of your hard work? Um, people ask me that a lot. And um, I don't do anything for recognition. Everything I do is to, to further my advocacy. 
And I say it, it was great to have my advocacy, my advocacy be recognized and to have my mission be further, be further, because obviously um, Oprah can, you know, she has a much larger reach than I do. And Oprah, you know, for all intents and purposes, she is a validator. And I will tell you, she went through me like a fine tooth comb. You know, did you have a boyfriend in the first grade? You know, what's he doing now? You know, (laughs) jeez. Wow. How is your credit? You know, how's your husband's credit? Does your your nine-year-old have a credit card? I was like, oh my God. I really want to meet Oprah now because Oprah, goodness, I didn't even have a house. Wow. you You know, you, but you have to, when they have to do their due diligence, the same thing when I had to, was going to be a CNN hero, same process. They need to know that you are really legit. You know, mm-hmm. and it goes back to that, you know, fake it till you make it thing. You yep. know, when you get to the point where they say, hey, this person needs to be recognized or hey, we want to do things for this person. They need to, to be sure that you are, you know, the real deal. Mm-hmm. That I am out in the trenches and I am doing the work and that I, you know, am truly practicing what I'm preaching um, but also that I have done my, I have done the, you know, the research, you know, and all the background work, you know, to culminate to what my organization is fighting for. And so it felt, well, one, it felt really great because I watched her on TV as a kid. Of course. And <laughs> so, you know, it felt great. Uh, she probably doesn't remember me now, but again, for my advocacy it was great because I tell people again, back in my military days when I was, you know, overcoming these obstacles is you never know who's watching you. And even like with my business now, people say things like, oh, I see your small business or in my nonprofit, oh, I see your small nonprofit. I'm like, I don't understand what that means. You know, um, you may think my business is small. I don't, you may think my nonprofit right. is small, but you know, even the when biggest I'm out, thing to you, right. Even when I'm out of my speaking engagements, if five people show up to my speaking engagements, I will treat that conference room like Carnegie Hall because I am glad that you five people showed up and I am still going to show out and give you the same level of respect and intensity because you showed up for me and I respect that. So for me, it's like, I don't care what words you have for me. I'm always going to think highly of myself. I am my best friend and my biggest fan, regardless of what anybody else thinks about me. That's the best attitude to have. And honestly, that's something we try to live exactly. So I admire that so much. So before we let you go, we need to hear, you do have a really cool business, which is a skincare line, and we need to hear about it. So um, through my journey, and I was telling you guys uh, earlier about how I latched on to my son and like in my worst times. And I, I realized that I wasn't very self-aware. And so, um, I had a lots of, lots of friends who were into spirituality and I, I come from a very religious family. And so things like spirituality were frowned upon because from their aspect, you know, spirituality was like against religion. And then there's demons and all these other types of things. And I was like, well, there's also like meditation. Um, mm-hmm. There's music therapy, there's crystals and, mm-hmm. you know, all these other types of things. And so I delved into spirituality and I didn't, and I just became so self-aware and I was, and, and, and we, as women, as we get older, we are so afraid to be alone. And I'm like, what does that really mean? And like, are you, why don't you, or people say like, I don't like being alone. And I'm like, do you not like being alone or you do not be in like with yourself? 
like as I became more self-aware and you like when you make meetings with people and tell you like, hey, my time is valuable. And like, what? yeah, and your time with yourself should be just as valuable. Whenever you have time for yourself, you should enjoy being with yourself and you should be totally immersed with yourself. So when I have five minutes with myself, it's just like, oh, this is the best time ever because I love me and I'm okay with me. And again, I am my best friend and my biggest fan. And I make the most of the time that I am alone, you know, with myself. Um, And so I also didn't realize the mind and skin connection, which is formed when you're in the embryo through the echodermic layer when you're a baby, right? And so I named my skincare line Adne Awakening. Adne is your brow chakra, which is right here, which is the birthplace of manifestation. So every day I wake up with intention and everything I do, I do with intention. And also what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? You're usually you're touching your skin, whether you're wash, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, washing your face, taking it or whatever. But, and you also injured injured day, either you're washing your face or taking a shower. And so I wanted to always, do something with mindfulness and also with skincare because of the connection. Most of the times you're having a bad day, like RBF, that's your mind telling your face, I don't like what this person is saying, or I don't like this person, or I don't like their energy. You know, when you're sick, you haven't drink enough, or you don't drink enough water, your brain can send signals to your face. If you're tired, you get bags on your eyes. Your brain is constantly connecting with your skin because it's trying to tell you something is wrong. You need to do something. And so I wanted to create a skincare line um, that, again, that enforces the mind-skin connection, but also teaches you mindfulness, teaches you to be more self-aware, and teaches you to do everything with intention. So when I take a shower in the morning, I'm not just taking a shower because I need to clean my body. I'm taking a shower because I am having a connection with my skin. I am cleansing my skin. I am connecting with my skin. I am nourishing my skin and my body. When I'm washing my face, I am doing the same thing. And I'm also saying affirmations, you know, good morning, beautiful. I should say things like I am connecting. I'm sorry. I am connected and I am trough by attract wealth, abundance, prosperity, success, wisdom, encouragement, infinite opportunities. I say that every morning and I look in the mirror and I, I say, good morning, beautiful. Before I go to bed, I say, good night, beautiful. I meditate. People think like meditation, like you have to do, you know, five or t- five hours or 10 hours for the count. And even with women, we think when we say, you know, practice self-care, Okay, so that means I need to go to Tibet and fist bump <laughs> with a monk or just stare into his eyes and say I did something. And I'm like, no, it doesn't always have to be something grandiose. It can be some, you know, small things matter and big things, you know, matter too. You know, and for me, it could be simple as, you know, I listen to so fragile frequencies, binary frequencies, things that can be small. Also, can you just go on, go into your back patio and just listen to the sounds of nature, you know, for five minutes, um, lotion your hands and while you're lotioning your hands, what does that feel like? You know, simple things. Um, obviously spa days are cool too, but I just think that we need to make self self care a daily practice and not, you know, I'm going to do this in five days or next month I'm going to do that. So if you do self-care daily, you will feel better daily because every day you will say, I have done something for myself. And so that was my intention with making my skincare line. So I have a facial wash, we have moisturizer and I have facial mask, which I use when I meditate, because you can just oh. lay there and it's the, you know, the Korean, the Korean sheet yes, mask. Yes, the sheet mask. Mm. And so on my sheet mask, I just re- redesigned my packaging. Um, but I use, um, I really identify with the, with the Hindu pantheon um, because I admire friendships. 
And I'm not know if you're familiar with Lord Ganesha and, Lord, and Goddess Lakshmi, but they are friends in the Hindu pantheon. So um, Lord Ganesha is the, the, the god of removing obstacles. And his friend is Goddess Lakshmi, which she is like the goddess of beauty, beauty wealth, and prosperity. Um, and so, but Lord Ganesha, so I, I put him on the facial mask. Um, so we have one for calming. So he's sitting there meditating and we have one um, for brightening and hydrating. He's drinking some lemonade with some sunglasses. And the other one is forever young when he's like bright eyed and he has a and he has like a, a nice cool t-shirt on. But it's just to remind people first not to take, you know, um, life so seriously and have fun, but also you need to be your own remover of your obstacles, you know, as well. And so, but you can read up more. It's agnia, ajna-awakening.com. But also if you just go to jazzbooth.com, that will shoot you to my website uh, for my skincare line under my title of Chief Spirituality Officer. <laughs> Wonderful. And we'll make sure to link all of this information in our episode notes. We're going to be talking about it on our Instagram. So um, we'll make sure everybody has access to to get that. I can't wait to order those sheet masks. Jack, bringing just, mindfulness and mental health into skincare is right up our alley. We, it really is. Just, and I like, just have to say, I love, I, you've, it seems that you've mastered the art of intention, which I think is so admirable and wonderful and something I'm constantly chasing in my life because, you know, with screens, and social media and we're so detached now from what's happening and, and I love what you said about just some a simple task like washing your face you know touching because yeah I mean like I have to take my makeup off I have to go to bed I got I have to do this but actually putting intention behind it can really change how you look and how you feel and obviously you it works for you your skin you are just glowing you're beautiful you're radiant you have a wonderful energy that we're even getting through the computer screen so obviously what you you are practicing what you preach and it shows yeah so Tina so when you're taking your makeup you can just say I am moving the worries of today and I'm throwing them away I love that. Yeah, I love that. Really also, like, like you're so relaxing to listen to. I feel like I'm in a spa. Like when you were <laughs> describing, like putting the things on your face. I was like, yes, yes. I'm so relaxed. Jazz, my coworkers always say that. So at my work, I have like crystals. So really, really funny. And so um, I have at my door, like I, I tell people, funny. I say, you cannot come into my door. You can't pass, you can't walk past my door's threshold if you bring any negativity. And it's funny. People were literally stopped by my door at work and asked me if they can come in. It's so funny. Wow. That's yeah. hilarious. It's There's an invisible barrier that they yeah. can't see, but it's like, no, I need to check myself yeah. before I... That's why I said, are you planning? And they said that. I said, can I come in? And I said, are you planning to be negative? <laughs> oh, I love that. Good I want for that you. for on my, a t-shirt. Yeah. And it's about, <laughs> yeah. I create boundaries everywhere at work, yeah. at home. You have to create, mm-hmm. create boundaries everywhere and people, they either gonna, they, they have to respect them. And it's just like, this is my, this is my workspace. And so if you're going to be negative, then you have to talk to me outside of my door. I can hear you just fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you may Good not come you. into my Zen den with any negativity. You may not. When are you writing a book? When are you writing your book? Because I'm I'm ready to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's got to be next. Please. You're so inspirational, Jazz. We are thrilled that you Jazz, came on it was Thank you so such much. such an honor to speak with you. And everything you're doing for women is just so incredible. We're just so grateful. We're so honored that you talked with us. And it's just so nice to meet you. We're so honored. Thank you so much. It's been so great. Thank you. I appreciate you, ladies. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And for more content, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Patreon, and give us a follow at Obsessed with the Best Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Hosted on dimlywit.com.